0: So open your Bibles if you have one. And uh, if you got the e-bulletin, it said that this morning's sermon is a surprise, which it really isn't. We are still preaching through the statement of faith, the doctrines that are in there. It's just that I forgot to tell anybody that. And then I went out of town. <laughs> and then I looked at my email this morning, and Savannah was asking, so who's preaching this week? And I realized, uh-oh, I didn't tell anybody Anyway, statement of faith. We're still in that. And recently we've been talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're continuing that theme. Today we are looking at a specific application of the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, his empowering ministry day by day. Uh, The question that we're answering today is what should we expect to experience from the Holy Spirit once we've. Believed in Jesus, we've become Christians, we're saved, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then what? Then when, what should we expect after that? That's what we're dealing with this morning. And it has to do with the question of spiritual gifts, which are expressions of God's power in our lives to do certain things. So to cut to the chase, uh, what a lot of people want to know about a church is this Are you charismatics? who prophesy and speak in tongues and lay hands on people for healing? Or are you more doctrinal and believe that those things have ceased? Well, we're going to answer that question today. And I'll just put our cards on the table right up front. Let me just say, we don't think that that's an either-or situation. That if you're charismatic, you can't be doctrinal. Or that if you're doctrinal, you couldn't be charismatic. We think biblical charismatics are doctrinal, and doctrinal people should be biblically charismatic. Though we don't really use that term, charismatic, because it has so many unhelpful connotations in our culture. So, Jeff Perswell, the dean of our pastor's college, summarized our position this way. He had a a commentary on our seven values in our book of church order. Here's how he puts this one. We believe the Holy Spirit desires to fill each believer continually with increased power for Christian life and witness, including the giving of his supernatural gifts for the building up of the church and for various works of ministry in the world. We are eager to pursue God's active presence in all its breadth that Christ may be magnified in our lives, in the church, and among the nations. So, putting it all out there, that all means we are continuationist in our position, we, as opposed to cessationist. We believe the broad work of the Spirit and all of his gifts, including those like prophecy and tongues, still continue today, rightly practiced and understood. So, does the Bible teach this? Well, fortunately, we have three chapters in our Bibles that deal with that very thing. Paul had a church in Corinth that had questions about these things, and he answered them. And now we have three chapters that give us a wealth of resources by which to answer these questions. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, mainly, and that gives us perspective on these things. So please turn to that, 1 Corinthians 12. We'll read verses 1 through 11, and then I'll pray. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. O oh, Father, we thank you for sending the Spirit Without the Spirit, we couldn't understand anything we just read. We wouldn't be able to change in anything that you want changed in us. But that's, your, that's what you want this morning. You want to come and visit us and give us understanding and open our eyes and our hearts and show us the way that you have provided for us to enjoy you, which is through Jesus Christ applied by the Spirit. So help us now, Lord, to enter into this and to receive what you have. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start with some context to get up to speed on why the Apostle Paul is addressing this topic of spiritual gifts in the first place. We can gather from these three chapters and the rest of the letter that the church in Corinth was divided over several issues. One of those was spiritual gifts. It seems like they had a two-tier kind of Christianity going on. There were the haves and there was the have-nots. There was the supposedly spiritual people, and then everybody else who was just lame. (laughs) The ability to speak in tongues seemed to be thought of as a mark of the genuinely spiritual person. That's why Paul spends most of chapter 14 on that gift, contrasting it with prophecy. So this division is going on, and the church wrote a letter to Paul, and they're asking about this and other matters. And we know there was a letter because in chapter 7, Paul says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And so then he's answering all their questions one by one. And he gets to chapter 12 and he answers their question about spiritual gifts. And he takes three whole chapters on it. That's a whole lot of material in your Bibles about this. A rich resource for us. So here's what our path is going to be this morning. First, I'm going to make three observations from verses 1 through 11 about spiritual gifts or manifestations of the Spirit, which is a more broad term for it. And then we'll deal directly with the question are they still for today? And we'll pull in chapter 13 for that. And then we'll close with what it means for us as a church with some comments from chapter 14. So here's the first observation the problem is not the gifts but the uninformed use of them. The problem is not the gifts, but the uninformed use of them. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. This opening statement already gives us a flavor of Paul's whole response. It communicates both correction and appreciation at the same time. Here's the correction. I do not want you to be uninformed. They are uninformed. (laughs) They have a deficient understanding about the nature and the practice of spiritual gifts, especially speaking in tongues, and that's undermining the usefulness of the gift and its bringing division in the church. Speaking in tongues, by the way, is the ability to speak in a language that you didn't learn and you don't understand. That's a simple definition of it. Paul says in chapter 14, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. He means I'm praying in a tongue, meaning a language, but I don't know what I'm actually saying. My mind is unfruitful. That's why he says, One who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret so that you know what was said. Power that the Spirit might give to you or to somebody else to interpret and that's strange that's a strange gift which is why a lot of people want to know does your church do that (laughs) because I'm not comfortable with that or maybe does your church do that because I want to see a lot of that it's the kind of thing that people want to know well we have examples of this very gift not just in contemporary culture but in the Bible in Acts 19 it says there was these disciples that Paul met and he says when Paul laid his hands on them the holy spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying it was something that happened spontaneously they didn't you know spend a month practicing on duolingo you know to learn this it just happened paul doesn't say the gift isn't valid he just says the corinthians are using it in an uninformed way they saw it as a badge of superior spirituality and they were using it in a way that didn't benefit people around them. In chapter 14, Paul describes a scenario that was probably taking place in the church. He says, "If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds?" Now, I was an outsider once, and I had that experience. I was a, I was in a wedding of a friend. And after the ceremony was over, we went into a room, and I thought, we're going to eat food now. But that's not what was going to happen. They put the couple in the, in the center of the room. They laid hands on them, started prophesying over them. And everybody in the room, all the way around it, was speaking in tongues loudly with no interpretation. And I thought, they are out of their minds. <laughs> Paul says, yeah, that will happen if you don't have interpretation, if it's not done decently in an order. We'll get to that. Because it's strange, but it's valid. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. You need to be informed by the word of God, which is what his response is for these three chapters. He says in chapter 14, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So let the Lord inform your use. That's what he's talking That's the correction. Ground your practice of the gifts in God's word. Now, he also shows re- appreciation, though. He doesn't say, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to practice them anymore because it's a mess. He doesn't say that. In fact, regarding tongues, the very gift that they're misusing, he is very affirming of that gift itself. Listen to chapter 14. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. That's not a rebuke. That's just a statement of the personal effect of this gift. It is edifying to the one who does it. He says in verse 5, I want you to speak in tongues. I want you all to speak in tongues, in fact. He says in 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says in verse 39, Do not forbid speaking in tongues. (laughs) That's appreciation and encouragement of that strange gift. Strange to us. So the gifts are not the problem. They're good in themselves. It's just that they weren't the problem in the church. It was only the uninformed use of the gifts that's the problem. So we don't dismiss this gift or any gift just because of bad experiences with it. We get our theology of spiritual gifts from the Bible, and then we evaluate our experiences from that. Here's the second observation about spiritual gifts. The greatest spiritual gift is a changed heart that worships Christ. The greatest spiritual gift is a changed heart that worships Christ. That comes from verses 2 and 3, And it's the first and most important information and correction about spiritual gifts. Paul says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, a reader might skip over these verses because it's a, bit figu- it's a little bit hard to figure out where he's going with this. And it seems like a tangent. What does this have to do with spiritual gifts? But it has everything to do with them. Remember, the problem in the church is they have this two-tier Christianity, the haves and the have-nots, the spiritual ones who speak in tongues, the ordinary, unremarkable, ungifted people. But Paul is saying, oh no, oh, you have no idea. Anyone who says Jesus is Lord has received the greatest gift of the Spirit that there is. All genuine believers in Jesus are spiritual people. You were pagans, he says. You were led astray to mute idols. Your God was this little carved image in your house that you burned incense to, that you petitioned to in order to make your wife fertile, that you sacrificed to in order to have success in business and things like that. You didn't know the real God, and you didn't want him. You may even have said in your religious rituals that Jesus is accursed. That was you Corinthians, he says. That's who you were. Now, here's the broader truth that describes our own origins also. Maybe we weren't led astray to little carved images, but we have our mute idols that we worship beauty, social status, money, health, comfort, safety, mute idols. We also were led astray, however, we were led to all of us at one time. Jesus was just a name, or maybe a good guy, or maybe even a role model, but not Lord, not Master, not God in the flesh with all authority in heaven and on earth to either forgive sins or to punish them. He wasn't that. Paul says, You had mute idols. Here's the real miracle, though. Here's the real supernatural gift of the Spirit. It's when one day, a person who has said, Jesus is accursed, now says, Jesus is Lord, and means it. That's the spiritual miracle. That's new birth. That's the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit that we learned about in Titus 3. The person to whom that has happened is the truly spiritual person regardless of what kind of gifting they have. Nothing more amazing will ever happen to you than to be in a loving relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ who died for our sins. There will be nothing more amazing than that. No other spiritual gift is better than to have peace with God through Christ applied to you richly by the Holy Spirit and to dwell within you. Ephesians 1.13 says, You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. <laughs> Every believer. There are differences in spiritual maturity between believers, for sure. And we'll talk about the role of the Spirit in our spiritual growth when we get to the next section on life in Christ. But when it comes to the spiritual gifts that we have, the word gift itself should show us that we have nothing to brag about, nothing to boast about in which ones we have. They're all undeserved. What we actually deserve is God's judgment for our sins, not gifts, but God is merciful. And He freely gives not only Spirit-empowered abilities to do this or that, but the better thing, He gives us Himself to live within. Let there be no two-tier Christianity in the church. A ranking of superiority based on who has what gift every believer has. The most amazing spiritual gift that there is. We have life in Christ The rest is just icing on the cake. But that said, the icing is still pretty good. (laughs) If we use it in an informed way. So that's the third observation. All the gifts are empowered by God for the good of the church. All the gifts are empowered by God for the good of the church. In verses 4 to 11, we have descriptions of what we call the broad work of the Spirit the range of what he calls manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit's activity is manifested or it's displayed when we see any number of these gifts in operation, and all of them are intended to do good. He introduces this list by first hammering again on this mistaken notion that some gifts are more of a sign of the Spirit than others are. In verses 4 to 6, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So there's a lot of variety in the gifts that we see. He uses the word service and activities. Those three words all get at the aspects of the work of the Spirit It's gift because it's undeserved. It's service in that it builds up other people. It's activity in that it's active. It involves doing something or saying something. The word manifestations is the catch-all word for those, for that variety. And we see the variety in verses 8 to 10. He lists a whole bunch of things there. Utterance of wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, Ability to distinguish between spirits, various kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. Other passages add even more gifts, including mercy, teaching, generosity, exhortation, administration, and other things. So there's a lot of gifts, there's a lot of variety. Without going into any detail explaining all of these, I think we can see that this stuff is good for us. I mean, who could say no to wisdom? <laughs> or somebody with a lot of faith? Or a healing? You know, bring it on, right? Let's have this stuff. Some might wish Paul had stopped at verse 9 and not started talking about prophecy in tongues. But he affirms in chapter 14, even those are for the common good. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Chapter 14. Who can say no to... Upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Yeah, let's have it. Let's get a whole bunch of that every week. (laughs) We need that. So there's this wide variety of gifts, and they're all for the common good. And when you look at them, you see some that are more natural, like maybe a knowledge, some that are more remarkable, like healings, miracles. But Paul says in all that variety, there's something really important to remember. Behind all these gifts is uniformity of source. They all come from the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God, who empowers them all in everyone. That's the language of the Trinity. It's in the reverse order from the normal normal father son spirit formula that we often see. Lord usually refers to Christ as the son. God used by itself often refers to the Father. But here they're in reverse order. It's Spirit, Lord, God. To say this, all these gifts that we have, they come from the same source who is the triune God. With the Holy Spirit being the leading and active agent, applying them to us. But make no mistake, God, God the Creator, is the one who has empowered these things. Every one of them, all of them, in every one. You see a gift, God is behind that. The triune God is behind that. He's doing that for the good. There are ways the Spirit is working to bring the life of Christ into our experience, making us new and balanced and whole and more useful to one another. Really, every Christian is a charismatic in the literal sense because every gift is a charisma which is the word translated gift. It's just that not every believer have gifts that we typically associate with charismatic expression. Mercy is charismatic. Administration is charismatic. And so are all the gifts of the Spirit. So you can't say that one speaking in tongues is more spiritual than the one who does acts of mercy which is a gift Paul lists in Romans 12. You can't say that the one who teaches is more spiritual than the one who has the gift of generosity because that's all empowered by the same Spirit. There are different levels of spiritual maturity, but the gifts themselves are empowered by the one Spirit. Whenever they're being used, God is at work (laughs) among us. Here's one thing this means. For those who are more inclined to the charismatic side of things, and you want to see the spectacular, it means we can't say the Spirit didn't show up just because there was no prophetic word and nobody who spoke in a tongue. That's not true. The Spirit shows up in our genuine praise of Jesus Christ. We say, Jesus is the Lord, and we mean it amazing, amazing that we would do that. The Spirit shows up in our acts of service, running sound, giving money to fund gospel ministry, in our hospitality toward one another, in our teaching. So no one should feel like God didn't show up because none of the spectacular things didn't happen. The Lord wants us to see the extraordinary in the ordinary, because that's where He's often working, most often, that's where He's working, in the ordinary, what we consider ordinary. It really isn't ordinary if God is using it to build up his people and advance the gospel. This also means for those who are more inclined to the doctrinal, more predictable side of things, and I raise my hand and say, that's me. (laughs) It means we can't say the spirit isn't working in the spontaneous, in the unplanned, and in the sometimes strange gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy. Amen. I heard an amen. Because people like me, we can look to predictability for security instead of to Christ. We can make an idol out of knowledge, not acknowledging that God can work in ways we don't fully understand we can have a reverse Corinthian experience where we elevate teaching to the status of the work of the Spirit and dismiss the prophetic people and the tongue speakers as the unspiritual ones. Paul would have none of that. He advocated for rigorous theological study and precision. He wrote the book of Romans. (laughs) And he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He didn't have a problem with the charismatic and the doctrinal. He said those, those go together. Biblical charismatics are doctrinal, and doctrinal people should be biblically charismatic in what we typically identify as charismatic, like tongues, should the Lord give you that gift, which he doesn't always do. We'll deal with more whether he does or not later. Before we go there, one more thing needs to be noticed here. I said all the gifts are empowered by the Spirit for the good of the church. And that was an intentional word choice because that is the primary context for the practice of our spiritual gifts. Not the only one. This is also for mission, but definitely the church. Beginning with the church and not instead of the church. Because we look in chapter 14, and what does he say? Often, all four times, he has a church setting in mind. In chapter 14, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. If therefore the whole church comes together. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church. The context of chapters 12 to 14 is the gatherings of the church. The gifts are are there to build up the local body of believers and as an overflow, those who are outside the church as well. We will use these gifts in mission, like hospitality, generosity, and serving, but we won't do it instead of the church, the local church, because that's where God wants it done. God's strategy, in fact for the spiritual gifts, is to make us interdependent on one another. It's to make us need other believers in the church in order to experience the fullness of all the good that God wants for us. Notice verse 11. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit has a will for who gets what. He has a purpose and a strategy for giving this person the gift of mercy and that person the gift of faith and this other one the ability to teach. And he doesn't give anyone all of the gifts. His list in verse 8 through 10 says to one is given this and to another is given that. Everyone is given some gift, but no one gets all the gifts. Nobody is an island to themselves. That's intentional. That creates dependence on other people who have what you're lacking. Someone has wisdom that you don't have. Someone else has faith that you don't have. Someone else has money that you don't have. (laughs) Generosity to give it. And so on. But together as a church, we have a broad range of spirit-empowered gifts designed to do us good. And that's why the rest of chapter 12, Paul used the body analogy. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Because we do need each other. The church is the body of Christ. The church is God's strategy for the good of his people and for the mission that flows out of it. So let there be no displaced believers who go their own way, who have given up on the institutional church. Yes, the local church is full of problems. (laughs) No more than the church of Corinth had. And yet, at the opening of the letter, Paul's introduction, he calls this church, the church of God that is in Corinth. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus. The church for all of its problems is God's church. (laughs) They are people. We are people set aside, sanctified, set apart for Jesus Christ. And so that's worth preserving, and that's God's environment for our growth and for our good. So, be a part of a church. That's where God wants to do us much good. Okay, let's deal with the big question. Are all the spiritual gifts still available for the church today? Before going to the text that answers this, let me say this first. The gifts that are in question by those who think the answer is no are mainly tongues, prophecy, to some extent, gifts of healing, and miracles. Some would say prophecy continues, but only defined as forthtelling, limited to proclaiming what has already been revealed in the written word, to quote one well-known pastor. So that's almost synonymous with preaching under that definition. That's not the definition that we understand from the New Testament. Rather, it is the human report of a divine revelation. It is telling something that God spontaneously brought to your mind. It contains specific information about individuals or situations that you couldn't know unless God had revealed it to you. So an example might be, there's someone here named Bob, recently lost his job, and I think the Lord is saying, don't be afraid. I have made promises to you that I will keep. Trust me and do the next thing. That would be one example. It isn't authoritative like scripture because the receiving of it and the telling of it passes through our fallible minds. Nor is it always predictive. It's usually descriptive. But when it's legitimate and done in an informed way, it always, according to Paul in chapter 14, it always speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, time doesn't allow going into all the evidence for that definition or the examples, but I preached on this in 2018. You can go on our website, go back to 2018. We had a whole series on the Holy Spirit um, on We had prophecy, tongues, all that was in there along with a lot of other things. So you can go back to that or I could recommend books to you. But that's just one of those gifts that some say has ceased. So tongues and prophecy particularly. So what have they continued or not? Have they ceased? Paul tells us exactly when they will cease in chapter 13. He answers that question in verses 8 to 12. So let me read those and then comment on them. Face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Let's walk through that briefly. He says prophecies will pass away, tongues will cease. Okay, when? When will they do that? Two clues. Well, here's the answer when the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, that's when these things will pass away. Okay, what is that? What is the perfect? Two clues. It's when we see face to face, and when I shall know fully as I have been fully known. Okay, so what is that? That's a description of when we see Jesus Christ face to face. It's a description when our partial and imperfect knowledge is replaced by perfect knowledge without error, the way God fully knows me today. That day hasn't come for any of us yet. That day didn't come when the Bible was completed, which is what some have said is what the perfect means. It means the completed canon. It means maybe the the passing of the apostolic era. Well, we have a complete Bible, and the original apostles all died, and still we do not see Jesus face to face. We do not have knowledge that is perfect. It It is still in part. That day for each believer is when we go to glory and see him face-to-face, or for all believers when Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. It's when the perfect Savior comes to restore a broken world to perfection. Then and not before is when these gifts, like tongues and prophecy, will no longer be needed. Meanwhile, they are given to the church by the Spirit for our common good, for life and mission. It makes no sense for Paul to spend three chapters informing us about the gifts, affirming the gifts, including tongues and prophecy, and giving instructions about their proper use if they weren't intended for the church for generations. Then chapter 14 would be basically of no use to us except as a historical footnote, something for preachers to explain why this doesn't apply to us anymore. No, my friends. We still need upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And these gifts are empowered by God to do it. They were then, we still need them today. Until the perfect comes, until Jesus comes. We are continuationists, not because we want to make our church meetings more lively. but because it's biblical and because we want the church to prosper with these gifts being used in an informed way grounded on God's word. And that brings me to the conclusion. What does this mean for our practice of the spiritual gifts? Again, Scripture is not silent on this. Chapter 14 begins and ends with guiding principles. Verse 1, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. Three key words, pursue, desire, do. (laughs) Pursue love. Pursue and act upon the fundamental Christ-like quality of love. Make it your goal to be loving to others. Go after it. Care about the people around you. Number one. Yeah, and if that's your goal, then here's what you'll do. You will earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy because these gifts are for the common good. These gifts are how we love people. They are for the encouragement of the church. They are for the mission of the church. They are how we love people as Christ loved us. This is how we, do, we, we are ministers of His grace to people. He's given you something. Give it to somebody else. That's how you're going to love them. So you, you want to earnestly desire these gifts so they can be loved in the manifold ways of God. In all these different giftings. You can't be close to, nor can you be open but cautious about spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, if you want to love other people. Earnest desire means you pray for the gifts to be in operation in the church. It means you encourage them and other people when you see it and you point that out. God's doing that in you. Thank you. It's you welcoming them into your own life. And you want the benefit that comes through these things. Loving people and prophesying or loving people and extending generosity, or teaching, or administration, or any other gift you've been given. These are not unrelated activities, these are interrelated. We use our gifts to love other people, and love motivates and informs our use of the gifts. And of course, that requires that we actually use them. We do. <laughs> we do all things decently and in order. We use our gifts informed by the scriptures and motivated by love because people only experience the common good when we actually practice the gifts. So are you good with administration? Then make that available to somebody who doesn't know what a spreadsheet is. (laughs) Our administrator appreciates that. Are you amazing at building things? Then... Use that to help somebody who doesn't know how to put an IKEA cabinet together, even with all those international instructions. <laughs> and I mentioned that one because gifting these lists of gifts that we have in the scriptures are not exhaustive; they're illustrative. These are examples, but they don't cover the whole range. <clears throat> Do you sometimes sense God revealing to you something that is for another person for their upbuilding? Take a risk and tell them. (laughs) Tell them on a Sunday morning at the ministry mic, which we don't have right now because of COVID, but Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we think that we're going to go into clear, I guess, which is going to make a lot more freedoms for us, and maybe we can get everybody back in this room, and we'll have a ministry mic, and that's a place where you can say, I think the Lord is saying something here, and you bring that to this group. Or bring it to Holy Fire Worship Night. That's specifically a place where every third Friday of the month we specifically gather and we are singing, we are praying, and we're listening. Lord, what do you have to say to us? And we share that. And that might be a tongue and interpretation. That's a place where we can do this. Do you have a gift of hospitality? Then have people over to your house. Believers and unbelievers, let them see something about the grace of God. Let them see something about the welcome of the Savior, the welcome that He's given you. And so you welcome them, and you treat them great, and you make the best food or whatever, you know? I'm not, I don't have that gift, so I don't know how that works. But whatever that is, Becca, tell us how to do that. Um, use your gifts. Let's practice the gifts. Let's be more concerned about people not experiencing the grace of God than we're concerned about doing it wrong. We have nothing to fear from the Lord. He knows we're not perfect. He knows who he's he's dealing with. He knows who he's giving these things to. But you grow in it as you use it. And he died to cover all our failures. He gave us gifts to bless people on our journey through this life until the day that we see him face to face. So let's use them. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross, and then the Spirit to apply all that to us and to empower us with abilities to bless one another. We ask that there would be the full range of all that you have for us. Um, You're the one who decides, so we leave that in your hands, but we are eager, we await, we expect, we invite you to work and to bless your people through the broad distribution of the gifts you've given us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we there? All right, let's all stand. <laughs> Blessing of the Father gift of grace and love, the promise of the Savior for power from above, a wondrous gift that's given for confidence.